the Trent, the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell, I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing your identity, theft crime in the night, pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road, Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a roll with the nice flow, with my industry, see me room, room, play monopoly with my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth. How do you do, Venters? With all the rhetoric we hear about building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico to keep the bad ones out, I would like to introduce you to Inez Gonzalez, whose family demonstrates what can happen when and if the two neighboring countries work together. Good afternoon, Venters. This is um, Trent Clark with, um, with Trent the Gent, of course. And today I'm sitting with my brand new friend, Inez Gonzalez. She is the director of Cal State Fullerton's Latino Communications Initiative. And so I'm glad to show her off to the world and to my audience. So Inez, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Trent, for coming to my office. Oh, no problem, anytime. So let's begin. I always like to begin in the, the very beginning. So let's talk about where you were born mm -hmm. and what did your parents do for a living? So I was born in Tijuana. I'm the youngest of seven girls. And my parents were born here in the United States. Um, they came from a low-income family. And for some reason, they thought they would benefit from going south instead of you know everybody's coming north and they decided to raise the family in in tijuana and my my dad had um sold produce so in the beginning he would buy oranges in la and sell them in tijuana and so he started that and he eventually was able to grow his business and offer us a better life than we probably would have been able to have here in the united states but the goal was always to be raised in Mexico, and then come to the come back to the United States um, to go to college. And since both of my parents were born in the U.S., even though I was born in Tijuana, I had the U.S. citizenship. So that worked out really well because they gave us the gift of uh, being bicultural and growing up in two countries, which is really unique and amazing. And 9/11 changed a lot of that, but I remember crossing the border every every week you know to go to the movies or shop it was just really a, a nice time and it is a gift wow so that's just interesting to me and you said for some reason it's not like you still don't know the reason why mm -hmm. he went south while everybody else was trying to go mm -hmm. north can you just try to wrap your head around that and, and why that made mm -hmm. sense to him yeah. Because it's so close to the border that, as you said, every week you're coming across or why you know, that make sense? You know, I'm the youngest of the family, so I think I have informational gap, but I really want to start asking more questions to my older sisters. My, my parents have both passed away. But um, there's definitely stories that I've heard. So first, now that I'm 50 years old, I actually feel like th that my parents were really... Um, had a vision and and you know just thought outside the box so first they they thought that they could build a business in Mexico you know selling produce right and so 
Um, so that's one thing. But then the other thing is my dad was very dark skin. He actually was a paratrooper and uh, dropped on D-Day. I mean, that's kind of the history that he had, but he suffered discrimination in this country. And so in part, I also feel that in Mexico, he could be an equal and actually not be stigmatized as much. Uh, and so he was right. I mean, I feel like, you know, they really did build something that would not have been possible here in the U.S. Wow, that's opposites of what we normally hear, right? U.S. is the land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. After going through the discrimination that he went through, it's like you know what? Let me come down here and um, have maybe even more opportunity. Let's talk about some of the opportunities that you're offering um, Latino students. I know there's more than Latino students that um, come to your um, initiative. So tell us a little bit about the um, initiative and. What exactly is the Latino-oriented communication studies? What exactly is that? So I don't know if you know much about Cal State Fullerton, but we are either the number one or the number two largest state university in California. And I say either number one or number two because we compete with Long Beach, and depending on the number of, of, of uh, students that were accepted, we're number one or number two. So 40,000 students come to our university, 70,000 apply. And you know, those are like really big numbers, yeah. obviously, right? People oh. that get in and people that don't get in. Um, we are pretty diverse, although we're, we are trying to make up better numbers uh, recruiting African-Americans. And our president, President Garcia, actually participates in like a super Sunday where she goes to a big church here and makes sure, tries to make sure that the African-American community knows that CSUF is a great option. But this is like a really diverse campus and I teach, I teach a class and I just see the students, it's uh, US media and ethnic groups, and I just see my class and I see the future of America. Like it or not, and some people don't like it, it's pretty diverse looking, you know? And um, so it's exciting. But as far as the Latino Communications Initiative, it was created four years ago, and I'm the founding director, because we graduate the most Latinos in communications in the nation. So with that leadership role, we wanted to make sure that we were maximizing that. There, there, it's a global world. There's a lot of interest in targeting the Latino market, and so employers are looking for a multicultural workforce. And we wanna make sure we're preparing the, the bilingual students in a way that they can maximize that gift of being bilingual in a, in a way that it, they can monetize that gift, right? So many of our Students learn Spanish at home, but perhaps they weren't encouraged to um, to continue their language skills because, I mean, I remember when I was young, the whole thing about speak English, right? I mean, really speaking more than one language was not encouraged, which is crazy, probably the only country that does that. Mm -hmm. And so now things have changed, and now we are making sure that the students have a pathway to improve their Spanish skills if they choose to. So they don't have to major in Spanish, they don't have to minor in Spanish. We have a Spanish for Hispanic Media Certificate. It's a pretty innovative program. It's four courses, part of their collateral, so we're not extending their stay here, but 
they can improve their Spanish skills. And depending on when, where they are, that's, you know, how much they're going to improve, right? So if, if they're struggling, I mean, they're not going to become experts with four classes. But what it does is it's, it really starts them off thinking, oh, I want to do this more. I want to read more in Spanish. I, I do want to learn how to write it, you know, because one thing is to read, uh, to be able to speak it. But another thing is to be able to write it. And, and knowing how to write it, I mean, employers want to translate. You need to make sure you have the accents and all of those things. So we have that. There's a lot of things be, been building around the LCI. So now we have a Spanish language news show that the students produce. And, um, and they, you know, they're, they're getting opportunities to work at Univision and Telemundo. These are U.S. corporations that have been bringing Latin Americans for, for the longest time because they claim they cannot find U.S. Latinos that speak fluently in Spanish. And so we want to make sure that we're growing um, U.S. talent that can work at Univision at Telemundo. So we've been pretty successful in four years. We have, we have people, we have three recent grants in Oklahoma. Um, you know, we're, we're growing that. It's, it's a pipeline for employers that are looking for bilingual talent. What about the, I read something about the free workforce preparedness program and how are you preparing them to actually, you know, get into that workforce? So 73% of our students here on campus are first generation college students. And so, you know, we, we welcome everyone, but the majority of the students here are the children of working families. And so, um, they're lacking some information that their parents are not able to provide to them that other families can. For example, internships. Internships are super important and relevant experience is really important. So all of the students I work with work, but they work in irrelevant places, right? That, that are not gonna help them be competitive if they wanna work in entertainment. And so we make sure that they know all, all of this so that they can make the choices that will create more opportunities. And I mean, I can give you so many examples. I, I, was I met this student um, that was working at Boston Markets, right, forever. And I mean, I saw his resume and he was telling me what he wanted to do and I was like, there's a disconnect here. And I understand you need to work to, to pay for your school, but if you really want this, you're gonna have to modify it. And so actually with that information, he reduced his hours at Boston Market. He started working here on campus in the marketing department doing graphics. That's relevant experience, right? So that when he applied to Paramount, um, he was able to get an internship there. And so he graduated with an internship in Paramount and at Telemundo. I mean, incredible change, right? Yeah. I mean, and so um, having the students be able to realize how important their resume is and what it needs to look like to be competitive is something that we do here so that um, they'll have more opportunities. Nothing breaks my, my heart more than seeing a talented student that didn't do what they had to do graduate and end up in a roadblock that, you know, I can't even help them, right, to, to be competitive in the job that they, that they want. I found a quote from um, Cesar Chavez and he said, we need to help students and parents cherish and preserve the ethnic and cultural diversity that nourishes and strengthens this community and this nation. So what does that mean to, to you? Why is that so important? 
So I think there's like a debate of like the melting pot and what does that mean? Does it mean that we have to disregard where we come from in our history, right? And so I'm a very proud Latina and I will not completely assimilate. There's no, you know, what, I think there's like different philosophies, right? And so am I... Am I a proud U.S. citizen? Yes, I am, and I pay taxes, and I know who I am, and I know where I come from, and I don't want to forget that. So I think, I think it's very important to have pride where you come from and not have to disregard that. You know, what is, I think the question is, what is the melting pot? What does it look like? Yeah. And so, but like I said, but your story is a little different, and you know, like I said, you, you won't forget where you came because you were born in Tijuana. So you were born there, and you say you have the dual citizenship, mm -hmm. right? Right. So if someone were to ask you, what do you consider yourself, what would be? It would be you know? U.S. U.S. citizen. And, you know, it, that has evolved. When I probably was 20-something, I probably thought I was going to go back to Mexico and buy my parents' home. And, you know, like I was so attached to it. But, you know, I'm 50 now. I have... I, have been contributing here in the U.S. The U.S. has been a great country for me. And yeah, I, I'm a U.S. citizen first, but I am Mexican-American. I mean, it's like, you know, people don't like the hyphenated name. I am Mexican-American. Yes. So you say you have been contributing. And so tell me some of the point blank facts of some of Inez, some of your accomplishments. And then, after we do that, then I'm going to ask you uh, another question. So I, I, I mean, the thing that I'm most proud of is my work here because um, I think education is the bridge to opportunity and there's no greater gift to help a student that got here finish, not only finish, because not all, not, not all of them finish, not all of them graduate. Some people come here, can't find themselves, are struggling and depart without graduating. So. I, I know that I'm making a difference in students' lives, and um, so that's really gratifying. And not only for them to graduate, but also be competitive in the workforce, because like I said, some people do end up in a, in a dead end for whatever reason. And so, um, you know, I stay connected with them even after they graduate, because that, that transition is super important. I don't think we do enough to help students transition from college to the workforce and that many are lost because like if they start getting rejections and and really they, they no one's helping them i think we lose a lot of them to to a fulfilling career because they lose hope and they stay in that restaurant job you know forever and then the longer they stay the the less competitive right that resume is going to look like so i i'm very um, proud of my work here because I know I'm making a difference and I'm helping low-income students I'm helping them with their upward mobility and I'm also creating a culture of paying it back I mean I tell them all the time I'm not doing this for you to make a lot of money I'm doing this for the community and I need to make sure that people some of you will turn back and help others I mean I, I don't want a selfish person that, you know, never looked back to help anyone else. So, all right, so I got one accomplishment out of you. <laughs> it, so, so the follow-up to that was going to be, I thought you were going to give me a list of all these accomplishments that you did, but you're probably too modest for that. 
and, but thank you for the great work that you're doing with our community and the students. But is there something that people just assume about you that maybe they don't know the true story? And like once I was talking to a gentleman and he was like, people just assume that he was this bright guy, voracious reader, but until he got to college, he had never even read a book before. Um, anything like that that people just assume about you that maybe you want to share just to give them the, the true Hollywood B story? Yeah, sure. So I actually was recently was speaking to some freshmen in high school. They came to tour and I was talking about the LCI. And I know they were looking at me and these, these were predominantly Latino students and they were very shy. And, and so I was encouraging them, them to ask questions. And then I realized there was like a disconnect, right? I mean, not only am I older, but they're not feeling a connection. And so I actually had to tell them. I was born in Tijuana, my first year in high school here in the United States in a mostly Anglo high school was my senior year in high school. It was the worst year of my life. I mean, it was kind of traumatizing. I was a leader, student le leader in Mexico. And when I came here, it was just a big culture shock and nobody treated me badly but I kind of segregated myself and I lost my voice completely. And so now people see me speaking and don't, I, I mean, I don't know if I was shy or I just lost my voice, you know, and, and being traumatized with a culture shock. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I, I do think that people would not know that I had an awful senior year in high school and that my time in the university, actually, I struggled as well. So I went to the University of San Diego. I, I had great, I, I, I went to visit the president of Mexico when I was in Mexico being educated. I had great um, grades and then coming here, it was just a big transition. And so I, I felt alone, even though some of my sisters were there in the university, I would wait for my next class in the car or in a bathroom that had a sofa. I mean, that's how, isolated I made myself so that was like a very my years in college were not fun years I just went to class and wanted to get get it over with so I do think that I'm pretty empathetic with students that don't get involved and 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 feel isolated and and it just makes a big changes the experience right once you really become part of a community so I also encourage students they're working they, they, they're not taking the time to get involved and that is part of the education. So I actually feel I shortchanged my education by being so isolated, but there was no institutional agent that helped me, you know, like faculty were teaching me and I had a counselor, but I studied computer science and so I, there was a disconnect there as well. And so I understand the importance of having institutional agents that are really making students feel welcome and part of the community so that's my story you know and it's you know it was i mean now you know i'm i'm a totally fulfilled person and happy and so but that was t a tough times when i when i was in college i'm looking around your office and as inez mentioned earlier i'm at cal state fullerton so looking around our office it has this lovely um photograph of, of butterflies probably need to Talk, talk to you about that and what that means because um, early on, actually one of my first podcasts, I interviewed like a, a butterfly lady. Um, but one thing that caught my um, attention on your wall, you have the undocumented, unafraid, and unapologetic, um, I guess, 
what, what, what could we call it? It's not really a painting, but you, you have that on your wall. What, what, what does that mean? And did, did you buy that? Did someone give that to you? Yeah, I, I bought it. The artist was here, so it's signed by him. It's not an original. Um, but yeah, it's a, a famous, now famous uh, graphic of uh, this woman in a graduation cap and, and it says undocumented, unafraid and not unapologetic. And so my office is a safe space, not only a safe space for undocumented students, but a welcoming space. So if you come here, there's just no confusion, right, of, of of this, of who I am, and and we have a lot of undocumented students here. I mean, not the majority, right? I mean, but we have a Dreamer Center, and I, um, yeah, like just just like I said about you know where I come from and being a proud Latina as a as a Latina educator, and there's not that many. I want to say, you know, like like people assume that maybe there's parity in in the in the composition of educators, but really higher education is predominantly white dominant. And so the student demographics are changing, but do we have enough um, educators where students, you know, students need to see themselves. So I'll, I'm, you know, I'm not the majority here, right? And so I'm here, I'm proud, and I wanna make sure that, that no one's confused of where I stand. And I feel that um, education is a right for everyone here, and I don't want people to think that they have to hide any information about themselves. So now I'm going to play devil's advocate a, a little bit. Um, you said you have some undocumented students here at the university. What would you say to the students or even to the parents of the students that would say that's totally not fair, not right, I have a student that has exactly, you know, the qualifications that that undocumented student has, but they didn't get into the university. How, what would be your response to that? So immigration policy here is obviously, uh, you know, bigger than one person, right? I mean, it's like the United States has been debating immigration policy for the longest time. Um, so it's not my role to resolve this. I just know that I'm an educator. I know that a as it is um, in here in California, um, actually even in, I mean, President Obama provided DACA students, right? So right now students that are here have a permit. There's a DACA doc that Trump has not um, changed and so the fact is that there's a federal law that allows students to come here and in California even there's, you know, there's support for DACA students, right? So I'm, I'm an educator, I'm not an immigration enforcer and I just wanna make sure, and I know the struggles and I know the struggles of like people that have come here from age five before DACA, they had to, I mean, their lives really changed with DACA. I mean, they lived underground and it was very hard and talented people, you know, students would have to work under the table, right, without a permit. Now they have a permit. So I know the difference that DACA has made. I know their struggles. And I know that there's people that don't want them here. So that's exactly why I want to make sure that my office, that they know this is a welcoming place. There's no confusion because there's definitely probably people here on campus that are, are not happy about it. But it's not their role. Their role is being an educator. So people have to focus on what their role is. 
before we get off the artwork on your wall, let's, let's turn to the butterflies. I always think of the, the caterpillar thought that life was ending and then all of a sudden turned into a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Are butterflies significant to, to you or um, what, what, what is that? So this, this um, picture actually I bought from the artist who's a friend from San Diego, Memo. And, um, and so it, it was kind of a coincidence. I was gonna buy a piece of art from him and then I saw it and then, and then I did see, you know, it was, I bought it when I first start, was starting this job and it does reflect my students, you know, it's exactly that. And it just happened organically. It's not like I said, oh, I want a picture of butterflies. Memo had this, I liked it, I bought it. And then when I saw it, it's like, yes, this is, I'm even going to get emotional. This is when they're going to graduate and fly away. Let's talk more about, about your students. And I always think about, um, I mean, these are kids, younger kids, but Bill Cosby's shows students or kids say the darndest things. What have been some of the darndest things that some students have told you, if, if you remember some, some things that maybe they have even taught you that's changed your mindset and your, your, your thought process? So I, I learn a lot from them for sure. And um, oh, I, I did think of something. So as I said, I, I, I teach U.S. media and ethnic groups and we discuss the portrayal of different ethnic groups by the media. And, and, and then we even discuss gender issues. And um, and so I had, you know, I show some YouTube videos of examples. We were talking about the music industry and I had some old videos of music that really the students can relate to it was probably like more my age artists right 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes 1980s and so so then the students had like a suggestion that we should look at and I'm I'm really sorry but it's a it's a very popular African-American like rap artist and I can't currently right now, uh-huh. now? yeah chance the rapper Oh. <laughs> Maybe it was him. But anyway, there's this video where they were talking about how he um, was showing a woman with, in, in, in the cellulite in her legs, you know, and how saying that photoshopping is bad. So they were like really happy about mm-hmm. that. Right. And that, so they're uh huh, that is. And so they're like, let's watch. Let's watch. I'm like, yeah, let's watch it. Right. And so I put it on and it's like the B word like crazy, right? I mean, it's just like B, and, and because they were saying that this was like a great video going opposite what the media portrays. And yes, it's saying, you know, like cellulite is okay and all these different things. But meanwhile, it's saying B, B, B. And I'm just like, oh Probably my. And, and, and too. Uh-huh. So, so that was really funny because I was really shocked. And so we watched it. I mean, these are adults, right? I mean, they're, they're students, but they're adults. And so I was like, wow. I just, I'm so shocked at all the times that, this song says B and that you're okay with it, right? And and so that was like an interesting conversation of like, yeah, but we tell our friends that, you know, it's not an insult, but I'm like, you're still, right? It's just like still there 20 times, you know, we're singing it. It's just like, it's just crazy. But I learned a lot from them. I mean, we were just talking about how an African-American woman was talking about, you know, how tough colorism is, you know, and how media portrays lighter skin is more beautiful. And I mean, she was even talking about issues where African-American men, you know, prefer other women than African-Americans. And so I really, I mean, they really teach me a lot. And I really believe 
I don't believe in the banking um, theory, you know, where the educator knows everything and we're just banking information in their brains. It's, it's a dialogue. And I start my class by saying, I'm a facilitator of this conversation because really it's, it's a personal journey, especially when you're talking about diversity and your, um, your unconscious bias, right? And so I just want to facilitate the personal learning. It's a really powerful class. Not to get into too many details, but did they? And I've already shared with you that my wife is Vietnamese. So, so when you said they thought that, that African American men prefer others, do they really think that it's a preference, or over just it just happens that way? Well, I think I think that student did think that, you know. And actually, her paper she wrote about about that, and she even shared a video. You know, there is a conversation in the African American community with women about this. I didn't I didn't know this, and you know, but I I I do think that that she did think that, and she was upset. You know, she was saying, "Come on, you know, yeah. why?" Taking all our good men, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll work on that. Do, do you read a lot? I do, but I'm actually getting my doctorate. I'm uh, writing my dissertation, and so I don't get to read a lot for pleasure right now. Read a lot for pleasure right now. Okay. So besides reading, which you're not doing a lot of my pleasure right now, and besides your students, what mode or what medium, it could be podcasts, it could be, um, you know, performing arts or something, where, where, where do you learn the most if you're not reading and, and taking out your students? You know, I'm a really good networker, and so I think I learn more from talking to people, new people. I think I'm not afraid of talking to strangers. I think that, you know, you, like in the most random place, I go to a lot of events and I make sure that I'm, I know how valuable it is to just talk to the next person because I think the universe sometimes helps you meet the right people that you need to. And, and I'm always trying to raise money for the initiative as well. So, um, you know, like yesterday I had a great first conversation with uh, these women lawyers and, you know, they were talking about how they've made their firm family friendly. And so I do think that um, I'm blessed to have a big network to be open-minded and want to talk to strangers. And I think, most of my learning comes from personal interaction. Well, exactly how we met, just by networking. You knew mm -hmm. someone that I went to college uh, with. We'll give Kevin, Kevin will leave us a, a shout out there. And you welcomed me with, with open arms, so you definitely um, are, are living, living that. You mentioned the universe conspiring to, to help you achieve things, and so I always think of reading The, the Alchemist, that's one of the main themes in that. Anything else that you feel that the universe has helped to help conspire to you achieving something? I, I think my whole career, you know, like there's some people and I know like overachievers and, you know, some people that have planned their whole career. I did not plan my whole career. I just went with the flow and it's developed perfectly to the point that I have found the purpose in my life, which is higher education and helping uh, students um, find a fulfilled career and I think it's pretty amazing I mean I studied computer science um, and because my dad suggested it and I did it and I hated it and um, but I now know that just that 
the process of learning how to program ben benefited me at the end. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've had this random career. So I, I did computer science for a year and then my father passed away and I never went back to, so I, I took the break from work and never went back, you know, because I had just done that for him. And then it was hard to find the first job, but I worked as a building manager in San Diego and then worked for an agency, a transit agency, and then uh, a community health group, and then a congressman, and then National Hispanic Media Coalition. It's like, how did this happen? And then higher ed, you know, it's hard to get into higher ed. How did I end up here, right, in this perfect job for me? And it's because I worked at the National Hispanic Media Coalition with Alex Nogales, who I will eventually introduce you to. <laughs> so you. National Hispanic Media Coalition opens doors for um, Latinos in media, and I worked there nine years as, as the executive vice president at the end. And then, you know, I was ready for a new challenge, and Cal State Fullerton, you know, starting this initiative, you know, and I really was the perfect person for this because with my network, I was able to um, make a lot happen in less than four years. So of being in the perfect position for you, obviously you're, you're very content, let's say professionally. What are some of the things, just be it in the world, be it in America that we're going through, what are some of the things that frighten you? Oh my goodness, do you really want to get into politics? I don't think so, but it frightens me. It frightens me very much. I mean, if you're, I mean, I'm, our president frightens me very much for sure. And um, yeah, so I know that there's a lot of people that are happy, but yeah, that frightens me. And and also the increase in in hate crimes, which actually relate to the hateful rhetoric that he campaigned on. And I'm very familiar, I mean, I worked at NHMC and so we we did research on hate speech and so I know the dangers of it and it, there's an increase for sure and um, and that's very scary um, but I'm also hopeful the students keep me hopeful I really yeah I, I feel like that that balances me a lot because I just see that our future is in good hands and and we're going through a transition in this country I think there's like there's like fear of the changing demographics, but as I told you, my classroom just shows you what America looks like in the future, and um, I think that the next generations are not fearful of each other. You know, obviously, you know, I am not, I mean, I know that there's, I, I know that there's a little bit of everything, but yeah, our, we, we're, we're in good hands, and I'm happy to be in higher ed where I see the future, and that's why education is so important that, that that you know the the next generation have the opportunity because um, that's the key for opportunities and for an open mind, and you know for for being accepting of everyone that looks different and for having self reflection on your unconscious bias. Yeah, you're like so you you work with the students and the millennials, so you're in it firsthand. And but from my vantage point, I mean, obviously I have three kids, young kids, and that generation, as you said, they are, we talk about being colorblind. I really think that they are colorblind. They don't see, I mean, they, there's so many mixed races nowadays. They, they don't literally see color. And so going back to your hate speech and a lot of that stemming from our, our president, 
but how much of that has to do with social media and being able just to say whatever you feel like you can say and there's no repercussions for you. I mean, is that attributing yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the re what I think is that the racism existed, but it was kind of like underneath, right? And so now people feel emboldened, like they can say things that they really didn't think that they could, you know, because of what was said during the campaign. And so I actually think, I mean, it's not the president that created, you know, new, I mean, the racism was there. It's just like, it was just, it's been kind of uh, un unleashed. But I think, you know, like like you say, in a few years, in 20 years, I mean, in 20 years, I think it's 2040 or 2050 when the the majority of the United States will be people of color. So we are going through this tumultuous time of um, because because the change is coming. You know, people are afraid, but they shouldn't be. Let's do something before I forget that we do every episode of Bit with Trump and Gent, and we call it the fill in the blank segment. So, no, you um, didn't tell me about this. People <laughs> get all scared over this, but this is easy as well. So, I'm going to give you like a couple of words and you're, you're just going to fill in the blank. So, don't stop blank. Don't stop the music. Don't stop the music. Now, are you a dancer? Are you, I mean, why, why music? It just popped up. <laughs> you like that Justin Timberlake song? Well, I mean, what, what does music mean to you? Um, you know, how does that make you feel when you're listening to, to music or favorite song? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, like when I exercise, I exercise with more intensity with a high beat. So I do think that music, music, yeah, it's just um, gives me a high. Yeah, and when we're talking about bridging gaps and connecting, mm -hmm. right, that's a music is something that, talking about the universal mm -hmm. language, like you don't need to understand the the words to necessarily, you know, like that song or to get into that song. Yeah, life so. is just happier and more beautiful, right, with music. So don't stop the music. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking of my one of my friends, and he's he's Armenian, by the way, but he loves. I mean, at least he's always singing "Best of Mucho." So um, I, I love that song too, as well. So great song. Um, second. You can blank. Do anything you want. Was that instilled into you by your parents, or how did, how did you come to believe that? Yeah, I actually do think so. And, um, you know, I was, I, I said in the beginning, I am the youngest of, of seven girls, or eight girls, and, um, and you know, live, being raised in Mexico, my parents didn't, didn't think that there were things we couldn't do because we were women, right? So I, I, I did grow up thinking that I could do a lot of things. But now, I mean, that sentence, I really want the students to know they can do anything as well, right? So I do believe that, and um, and I want to make sure the, the students know that. Have you ever come across, and I don't necessarily know how you could get to college not thinking that you can do anything, but have you ever come across a student in this safe space that probably was down on themselves and didn't think that they could push through? And so how did you help them through, through the Yeah, I mean, I actually think that, um, for example, I have a student that um, comes from low-income family, and I think he wanted to study PR. I think that 
sometimes students, the careers that they decide, they limit themselves. So like broadcast journalism, for example, like if they don't see how they can end up on TV, right? And their family probably thinks they're crazy. Yeah, and so how are you going to do that? But here we have a pathway because we have a network. We have people like Kevin Olivas that comes here and recruits them. And so it is possible, but there are students that cannot think, you know, we have so many entertainment companies in LA and they don't know, they, but now they do because we've already have generations of students that have interned at NBC. But before, so we've created this community where they're learning from their peers and recent grads. And so now I, I do think that as soon as they come to this community, they go, oh yeah, it is possible. But before, if they had never met anyone that worked in the TV industry, how do you get in there? Those networks, as, as you said before, and um, I'm gonna make an admission that, you know, I, I told you that my daughter is looking to major in broadcast journalism and she did not apply here, obviously because we thought it was too close to home. But I'm gonna make it a point, like when she's looking again to reapply, she's definitely gonna apply here, so. I hope so, you know, I hear a lot. I, I always purposely ask students if CSUF was their first choice and it wasn't, but then when they graduate, they have no regrets and they love it and they know their opportunities um, were different because they were they came here. Like we have a great Titan studio here that many schools don't have and just because of how we run things. I mean, students get to do things that in other schools you don't get to do. So I think we're very competitive. I think we're like a precious gem that's hidden that people don't know about. But once they come here, and I see this so much with students, we weren't their first choice, but they love us and are so grateful they came here. The third fill in the blank question is conversations are blank. Interesting. Interesting. Now, to have an interesting conversation, do you need to be more interested or just interested in what you have to say? Yeah, you know, I really think that I believe that, like, I when I meet a new person, like, I want, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I think sometimes we undervalue, you know, what we can learn and the surprises. And so, yeah, I'm when I meet someone, I'm, like, interested in, figuring out what I'm going to learn about them. And when you don't have that attitude, right, then you are you can miss out. We're going to go right into a, an, another thing that, that I normally do, uh, that we're trying to present, and let, let's see how, how it works. So are you right-handed or left-handed? Right. Right-handed. So for some reason, I think every single guest so far, been 15 or 16, I think have all been right-handed, or at least as long as I've been asking that question. The follow-up question is, are you right-brained or left-brained? I always forget which so is right which. Right is the more creative one, creative side. Left is more analytical. I'm more analytical. I'm definitely less computer, creative. So is that from your computer science days? or? Yeah, I, I, I'm really not. I'm really not good at drawing, and I'm just, yeah, I'm definitely more analytical for sure. But I am a creative thinker as far as, like, planning and vision and all that, but I am not creative at all. Hmm. But we have to have you draw something right now. It would be awful. <laughs> yes, it would be like a stick figure for sure. That's all I do. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll work on that because remember, you can do anything.
<laughs> Good point. <laughs> Let's wrap up. There's a few things that, that I want to go back to um, the Latino community in, in that space. So I read in 2014, Latinos became the largest ethnic group in California, um, overtaking non-Hispanic whites, whatever that means. Uh, so Latinos constantly deal with the misperception that they are somehow more foreign, right, than other immigrants, um, descendants that have come to, uh, to the United States. So it said, in fact, two-thirds of the U.S. Hispanics were born in this country, and that's uh, accurate, and it ought to be increasingly impossible to deny that Latinos are as American as everybody else. So once again, we started with you went south to Mexico and came back, but let's talk about the ones that were the two-thirds that were actually born here. And so where did this misperception or perception come, came from? Why are people thinking that it's not their land or where they should be? Why do Latinos or what, no. why do other people other think people. that? Yeah. Yes. So I think it's, it's the media and the power of the media. And so um, actually when I was at the National Hispanic Media Coalition, we did a study and we did find that non-Latinos think that the majority of Latinos here are undocumented, which as you just said, is incorrect. And so there's not enough stories about um, the contributions of Latinos here in the country. And that's why, you know, I spent nine years at the National Hispanic Media Coalition. Media, media matters. The stories that are being told matter, and there's not enough stories about our contributions. For example, Ken Burns, when he first did the the program about um, the wars, like he did not have anything about Latinos. I mean, he changed that because there was like a whole outrage, outrage about the exclusion of U.S. Latinos that went to the war. As I told you, my dad was a paratrooper in D-Day, you know? I mean, that's like such an insult. And so like there's consistently the elimination of the story of the contributions of the U.S. Latinos. And it's in, and so it's the media perception, and we need to make sure that there's more Latino writers and more Latino producers that are able to tell our authentic stories. As we move ahead in this new technological age, um, there's there's a lot of individuals. Obviously, we get our news. A lot of people get their news on their phone. As I hold my cell phone up. Um, and less people are watching nightly news, 6 p.m. nightly news. Um, I think less people are even watching, you know, news in the morning when they when they get up. How is that going to affect your work here? And obviously, that will affect the 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 opportunities for Latinos to get those stories out there because it looks like we're moving to a different medium. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things are changing, and definitely people are consuming their media in different ways. But the truth is, even if, if there's more content, that can also be a problem, right? Because there's, you know, like, you need curation. And so, yeah, anyone can do a video, but what type of outreach, like, how many views can you get right that's like the challenge and so a lot of people say yeah there's a lot of more options but the fact is that to change the way the hearts and minds you really do need 
millions of views, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, if I create a video and a thousand people watch it, you know, there's limited out outreach. And so we still need to, and, and then, and even though viewership for local media has um, decreased, it is still the the way that most people get their news. So, you know, things are changing, but they're not. I just attended Digital Hollywood and there was this panel of people, of, of these Yahoo and so many other uh, big companies trying to figure out how do you distribute short films? I mean, like it's changing so much that, that the big companies haven't figured it out. So much less, you know, my students doing a video, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm hopeful and there's going to be more content, uh, but we need the big studios. We need films that we can go to theaters and watch good stories and not just the stereotypes of gangs and, you know, all these different things. Let's end with this one. I'll let you take it in a different direction. Uh, so it might be a follow-up question. But personally, I have known lots of U.S. immigrants. Um, to be very inspirational to, to me. Um, they have drive, they have the will, they have the work ethic. In your opinion, what seems to be the difference between immigrants coming to America and then the natural born citizen in America who feel like just the, the roads are all paved in, in gold and, you know, it's just, they're kind of lackadaisical about it. So I think immigrants like are grateful to this country, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, you gave me the opportunity to come here. And I think we definitely, immigrants don't take it for granted. I mean, I, I know that there's people that would not agree, you know, would not agree with me, right? But that's my perception of, of immigrants. They're just grateful. And, and usually when you immigrate, you immigrate because you want to leave something, something's not working for you, right? So you come and, and hopefully life is better. Um, I think also it's generation. So maybe the first generation, it's still connected to, you know, like I think as the generations go on, then the mentality changes. So for example, my nephews and nieces, I think, yeah, they were born here and maybe they do take the country for granted, right? Because it's like, and, and hopefully they don't feel like the other as well, right? And so I think also feeling like the other, like it took me a while to not feel like the other anymore. Even now, even if people would want to make me, to want to make me think like the other, I, I'm empowered and you're not gonna make me feel like the other, right? So I think it's also that, that, you know, and I see it with some students here, like thinking that they're the other. And what is the other? The other is the bad person, right? I mean, it's that this media portrayal of the other, the enemy, the bad, the one that wants to abuse the system and all these different things. And that's a lot to carry, right? If you kind of accept that baggage of the other. And so um, I could only talk about me and mm -hmm. my in my experience and also like when I see my nephews and nieces, right? And I see that they, you know, they're they're not the other and that's great. Yeah. Anything that you tell your nephews and nieces when you see that they might get a little complacent and maybe take their foot off the, the accelerator a little bit to remind them that yeah, we were you were born into this and it seems like everything will be given to you, but 
you still have to go out there and, and get it. You know, it's really funny that you say that because I just uh, participated in, even though I have to defend my dissertation in July and I'm still not a doctor, I participated in the graduation ceremonies on May 21st and then we had uh, a lunch for the family and I actually did take the time during my speech to let the next generation, to remind the next generation where we come, where we come from, right? So my grandparents were uh, picked fruit, you know, came here with nothing, and my parents also came, you know, started with nothing and built something. And so I, I definitely wanted to remind them of if they did so much from so little, look at what you can do, right? And and definitely for our family, it's really important to give back. So also reminding them of that, that it's not just to try and reach your full potential, but to try and reach your full potential for the betterment of the community. Well, Inez, I said we were going to come to an end. I want to thank you so much for what you are doing for the community and what the work that you're going to continue to do for the community and for our students. Um, very important work but before we go always give you a chance to let the listeners know how to reach you if it's social platforms want to give out your email whatever it is great so i am here at cal state fullerton and um i'm in um i'll give you my email i guess i gonzalez with a z at the end at fullerton.edu okay well, listeners, venters, we call them venters, um, there you have it. You know how to reach Inez. Uh, definitely um, Cal State Fullerton is a great institution. So if you have any of your your kids or just you know people in your contact sphere that are looking for a great university, get that hidden jewel that Inez had mentioned. And so with that, Inez, thank you once again. Thank you, Trent. Venters, there you have it. Inez alluded to Kendrick Lamar's lyrics in his hit single, Humble. I want to end by sharing that passage with you that she alluded to, if you're not familiar with the song. Remember, as always, Venters, share this episode and others with friends and family that might be looking for something else to listen to while driving in the car. I'm so fucking sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me something natural like Aperol with your bra. Show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks. Still, it take you down right on your mama couch and polo sack. Hey, this shit way too crazy. Hey, you do not amaze me. Hey, I blew cool from AC. Hey, Obama just paced me. Hey, I don't fabricate it. Hey, most of y'all be faking. Hey, I stay modest about it. Hey, she elaborated. Hey, this that great poop on that AV on that TED talk. Watch my soul speak, you let the meds talk, ayy If I kill a nigga, it won't be the alcohol, ayy I'm the realest nigga after all, bitch Be humble, hold up, bitch Sit down, hold up, low, hold up, bitch Sit down, 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 low, hold up, bitch Sit down,